Welcome to the Relationship Road Trip, navigating the twists and turns of all the important relationships in your life. I'm Ben Azevedo, your backseat driver and problem-solving pal. I'm Dr. Don Fernando Azevedo, clinical psychologist, executive coach, and voiceover artist, your navigator. And I'm Kim Azevedo, licensed marriage and family therapist, expressive arts therapist, your mechanic. Hope you're feeling smart today, drivers. Yeah, 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 get behind the wheel, all that good stuff. Let's go. Today's quote is by Arthur Conan Doyle of Sherlock Holmes fame. My mind rebels at stagnation. Give me problems, give me work, give me the most abstruse cryptogram or the most intricate analysis, and I am in my own proper atmosphere. But I abhor the dull routine of existence. I crave for mental exaltation. I love the dull routine of existence. No, you don't. We literally talked about this yesterday. <laughs> I wish I loved the dull routine of existence. There you go. So we, we are going to have the multiple intelligences before this one, yes? Yeah, I think so. Right. So then my entrance is correct. Yeah, I edited it because I didn't feel like doing the mental gymnastics to edit this one and then put it before that one and then do the next one about resilience because that's what we said at the end of the last one. Now I've done the gymnastics, so we could, but no. Last session, we talked about Howard Gardner's theory of multiple intelligences. This is one of the newer theories on intelligence. Today's episode is about the heavily debated history of intelligence and some of the ways intelligence is subverted. Don, what is the history of intelligence and why is it so debated? You took out my I'm afraid to ask that question. All right. I'm never afraid to ask a question. Oh, I don't know. Maybe on this one you should be. There is no standard definition of what intelligence is exactly. So definitions range from a single general ability to a range of aptitudes, skills, and talents. So this is why there's a big debate. We can't figure out what this is or how to measure it. So people fight about it quite a bit, actually, in the literature. It's because um, everyone it's wants to be smart. And so if you rank me by how smart you are, I'm going to be dumb. And actually, you, you put your finger right on it, Kim. The whole issue is around comparisons and these comparisons with other people, which is what creates a lot of the problems in the world. In any case, of all the theories that are out there, there are some commonalities. So it's about the acquisition, retention, and use of knowledge. Everybody kind of agrees on that. It's the ability to recognize you have a problem you need to solve and the application of the knowledge that you got in the acquisition, retention, and use of it to solve that problem. Those are the commonalities between them, but then they start to diverge pretty rapidly. How tied into, I don't know how to say this, but like sentience is intelligence. <laughs> like those aren't exactly the same thing, right? Right. Uh, like we were talking last episode that there are animals that demonstrate certain thresholds of intelligence, like using tools and social structures and things like that. But there's clearly a difference between some animals and humans. How much does that play into this history, the usness of what humans are? Okay, so sentience is defined as the capacity to experience feelings and sensations. Okay, so I sentience, haven't looked up that definition in a long time, I guess. So that's well, like this, most creatures. 
Yeah, most creatures, certainly most mammals, experience feelings and sensations, and you can see it in their behavior Just if they don't too. have language for it. And this is from the philosophers of the like 1630s. So what am um, I thinking of that's like higher intelligence then? Cortex I, development. I, I don't know. Is it sapience? Is that the word? Sapience. Oh, now, now you have one that I don't remember, but I think that's going to be ape-like. It, that's apparently the quality the of being wise. Oh, okay. I don't have well, the intelligence for this conversation right now. Well, we're just playing with words at the moment. <laughs> yeah, that's not my type of intelligence. We went well, over the, that last episode. I don't know. I've been reading a lot of sci-fi, right? So that's, I'm just like, what is intelligence as compared to like, is it, you know, having a soul? Is it whatever, like the ability to communicate all these things? Like if we're talking about animals to human, I think there's a spectrum of capability there. So, I mean, there's a, a range of that in humans, right? right. Not all humans are the, at the same level of that. In any case, I, I certainly have met a lot of humans who are not wise at all. So let's get back to intelligence. Most of you know what IQ is, or at least are familiar with those two letters. It means intelligence quotient, and it was first coined by a German psychologist named William Stern in the early 1900s. He was one of the people who wanted to measure intelligence. He was really going after how do we apply this particular thing that we call intelligence? So at about the same time, Alfred Binet developed the first IQ test, and it was for the purpose of identifying school children who needed extra academic assistance. It has since evolved into the idea that this is how smart you are, but that's not what it was meant to do. It it's was not the number that, that proved I was smarter than my brother, though. <laughs> yes, it did. I didn't really need a number for that, did we? Yes, we did. I got to know. Also, one of the outcomes of that particular thing was the idea of mental age and using it as a standard for typical development in children. And this was kids should know these things or be able to do these things related to intelligence, solve these problems at these particular ages. And if you couldn't do it at that age, you were deficient. And if you could do something of an age greater than you, you were superior. Remember Advanced. that. Yes. Remember that because we're going to come back to it. Okay. So there are four major theories about intelligence at this point. The first one comes from a British psychologist named Charles Spearman. He described a concept of general intelligence or the G factor. Wow. That's very exciting. And his idea was people that performed well on one cognitive test tended to do well across other cognitive tests. And those who did poorly also did poorly on other tests. So you're either all the way smart or all the way dumb? Pretty much. You got to have the G factor. Yeah. Remember that too. It's a lot to remember. All right. right. Well, well, it's the uh, concept of intelligence. Are you synthesizing, uh, what is it, knowledge? Was that what you're talking about? Acquisition, yes. Acquisition retention, retention, and use of knowledge. Right. All right. So we're in the early 1900s still. So an American psychologist, Louis Thurstone, suggested that intelligence was more complicated than a single general ability. It's more than that, he said. His theory suggested there were seven primary mental abilities that may not co-vary as Spearman suggested. So you might be smart on one of these, but not on others. The seven were associative memory, numerical ability, perceptual speed, reasoning, spatial visualization, verbal comprehension, and word fluency. These kind of start to play into Howard Gardner, who we talked about last yes. week and are about to talk about again. Right. Although the difference, can you notice the difference between Howard Gardner that we talked about last week and these seven? These seven are all focused on the sort of traditional book smarts IQ stuff. And they kind of repeat. I mean, having uh, verbal and word fluency as two, I mean, they're, they're related, whatever. 
they're related. <laughs> Verbal comprehension is your ability to take in. Yeah, and then word, and yeah, word okay. fluency is the ability to create your words in a fluent way that describes your ideas. Kim sure. has Kim? neither of these. <laughs> so you just got reasoning. <laughs> sure. None of them. Right. That's basic problem solving. So <laughs> Kim is not intelligent got... on the Thurstone version. Oh, I don't know about that. I got perceptual uh, but... speed and spatial <laughs> visualization, but uh, okay. that verbal comprehension and word fluency we got some struggles with over here <laughs> uh, you've got great associative memory and great reasoning as well but ben you got it exactly right these were all still related to the things that would get you high marks at school so that's when american psychologist howard gardner in the 1980s so this is 80 years roughly after this concept has really been being debated and being used in some nefarious ways that we'll talk about with the subversion of intelligence Howard Gardner comes along in the 1980s and suggests that Thurstone's ideas are still focused on that primary cognitive school-based intelligence. And that's not all of the picture. He suggests there were eight different intelligences that we just talked about. So I'll go through them real quick. Bodily kinesthetic intelligence, interpersonal intelligence, intrapersonal intelligence, logical mathematical intelligence, musical intelligence, naturalistic intelligence, verbal linguistic intelligence, and visual spatial intelligence. Well done. I think there's also an intelligence for reading a list, but hey. List intelligence. <laughs> list intelligence, That's also yes. how uh, BuzzFeed made all those, you know, top 10 whatevers, listicles. Are those still a thing? Like those yes. went away, right? No, they're still no. there. I love them. I haven't seen BuzzFeed pop up in something in a minute. All right. I've absolutely bored my colleagues on different topics. No, we just a tangent about your list expertise. Yes. And you don't remember BuzzFeed listicles? I yes, love yes. I a whole, they like pioneered a new style of online article. I'm saying that if you're making your own intelligence, there's whatever. All right. So here's another one of the debates and, and arguments. American psychologist Robert Sternberg, at the exact same time in the 80s with Gardner, suggested that some of Gardner's types of intelligence aren't really intelligence. They're just talents. Okay. I mean, I'm not offended by that. He suggested a new way of looking at this about successful intelligence, really the capacity to apply any knowledge that you were able to, to gain. And successful intelligence had three factors to it analytical intelligence, creative intelligence, and practical intelligence. All right. I definitely read that as practical magic, and that's not <laughs> well, accurate. It, it would be good to have practical magic, right? but you have to pass your owls. Did Sternberg feel like his three intelligences were not compatible with Gardner's eight? Yes. Okay. And, and I mean, the reason I was... I just see them kind of working together, but... Well, and, and this is, again, part of the debate, Ben. You have your finger right on it. How do we describe this? One of the facets that Gardner came in on to create his theory was that different cultures valued different applications of information. Yeah. Right? And so the value of your culture in a particular area might make you, quote unquote, smarter than somebody else from another culture if you measure it on that. And this is leading into subversion. But first... What does all of this study mean in terms of intelligence? Everybody's smart in their own way. Well, that's one way of looking at it. That's my way of looking at it. Okay. I think it means mostly that humans are really interested in what makes us smart and wanting to be above average all the time. Like in Lake Wobegon, for those of you who are old enough to remember that. Do you remember Lake Wobegon? 
where all the kids are above average? I, yes, but I didn't, I never listened to it enough to know that reference. It's, Sorry. That's okay. It's an old person reference. So the other thing is that intelligence invites competition between people based on this particular quality. And people like competition. They want to know where they stand in the pack. Am I a, a top person, a middle person, a bottom person? What's going on? A different on? animal entirely. And, and Kim enjoys all of those things. The other thing about intelligence and looking at this is it's a way to confuse and control others uh -oh. by manipulating information, the definition of problems, and usually singular solutions that whoever the manipulator is wants to have happen. And these theories help those folks do that. Right? Yeah. Tricking I mean, your brain. so when you were listing out these scientists that you were talking about in the early 1900s, some little warning bells are going off in my head. That was an interesting period for this kind of study in Western culture. Oh, yes. I don't Absolutely. know about, I don't know about other parts of the world, but certainly what Europe and the United States oh, wait, were just yeah, in. The United States did that. Yeah. No, it was Europe as well. Right. That's right. It what are you talking about? Only, it's not the only the United States. It's all like Eurocentric cultures right. doing this. So we'll get into that. What are these nefarious ways of manipulating people through definitions and understandings of intelligence? And the only reason we say that is because we are of European heritage and Americans, and we just don't know the histories of Asia and the Middle East. It's very possible that they also use these concepts. Oh, yeah, that's what ways. I was saying. I don't know what was going on in other parts of the world, but I know right. about Peace. Europe and the United States and eugenics, which we're about to talk about. Right. So, Sir Francis Galton comes onto the world. Get out of here. <laughs> and says, <laughs> you know, we breed cows to produce more milk and better milk, and we breed plants to make more of whatever it is that they produce for us. Let's do that with humans. And since we can't tell humans who to breed with, we can stop you from breeding. That so, seems safe. Yeah. Eugenics is born. And it's really the study of how to arrange reproduction within the human population to increase the occurrence of heritable characteristics regarded as desirable. So pay attention to this. Regarded as desirable. By whom? That's the key. That is the key. The Wait, adoption man. of this <laughs> and using intelligence tests to differentiate people led to one of the ways that the, the Nazis adopted the doctrine of treating the Jews as subhuman people, getting rid of disabled people, lots of other minority groups, including anyone who was low in intelligence and therefore didn't contribute to society as well as someone else. Now, the idea with eugenics originally was to stop them from reproducing, not stop their whole life. But that's how it got interpreted at that particular point in time. In the United States, it was about stopping people from reproducing. So you remember Binet? I told you to remember him. He was, his test was about finding students that needed extra help. That's one of the ways they found mentally deficient people and either sterilized them or in Europe killed them. That's one of the ways that intelligence has been subverted. Now let's talk about propaganda. This is a fascinating one. The history of propaganda is really fascinating. It comes from Latin and it was first developed by the Catholic Church because the Catholic Church decided it needed to have some way of keeping the faith pure when Martin Luther came along and said, hey, you guys are corrupt. The whole Reformation movement was scaring 
the, the Catholic Church, and they were trying to keep what they saw as Christianity pure. So they created a committee called Sacra de Propaganda Fide, or in English, Sacred Congregation for the Propagation of the Faith. Propaganda is a Latin word that then was converted to mean a systematic way of deceiving people about a particular point of view. Now, that's hmm. its worst. Propaganda can also be used to put out accurate information. And that's the slippery slope. Well, the Catholic so, Church, I assume, felt very good about its propaganda. Yes. Well, that's wouldn't right. most and, groups putting out propaganda feel good about their propaganda? Yeah, yes. but I, I feel there. I think I would draw a slight difference between... I think there are instances historically of propaganda where the party putting them out knows they are false and is putting them out deliberately to mislead people. And I'm not even really trying to defend the Catholic Church here. I don't know how I ended up here. But the Catholic Church putting out propaganda that it truly believes is, you know, the true faith. And is it's not... It, you can argue it's deceiving people, that's fine. That depends on what you believe. But like the Catholic Church believes it. They're not putting out a thing they think is a lie. Well, yep. you can argue that the Nazis truly believed what they were angling for. And I'm sure many of them did. But I think there's also certainly evidence that there were plenty of people who knew it was not true, but supported, for whatever reason, the agenda. So keep that in mind about how groups do this. Recognize that this came out in 1622. That's when that committee was formed. It wasn't until the 1840s that an encyclopedist, how about that? His name was W.T. Brand, and he rebranded the word. Uh, do you like what I did there? Beautiful. He rebranded the word propaganda to mean, quote, a term of reproach to secret associations for the spread of opinions and principles which are viewed by most governments with horror and aversion. That's kind of interesting, viewed by governments with horror and aversion. Yes, uh, all about people in power, right? And then what happens when the government is actually engaging in this? I don't know. I'd love to ask W.T. Brand his point of view on that. So it'll be a few more decades and then in the 1840s. Oh, 1840s. Sorry, I read that as 1940s. If he is alive. W.T. Brand's definition needs a, a re-rebrand. Maybe, maybe. I mean, I don't know. It's interesting to look at this concept and what happens to populations when a certain set of details are paid attention to and another set of details is ignored. Yeah, I guess and, this gets back to what I was talking about with the church is does the group putting it out believe it is the truth or are they deliberately misleading? And those are two different things. Now, both can mislead people, yes. but if the group putting it out believes it's true, they have a different intent than if they don't believe it's true and they're trying to get people to do something. And that's more in lines with Brand's definition is that right. propaganda is used to subvert something. Right. And get an outcome that's deliberately misinforming a group. And the importance here is that propaganda, it uses just enough truth for people to start believing and then distorts elements of that in order to create the outcome that it wants. That's what propaganda is designed to do. And it's usually targeted to large groups of people. Okay. And that differentiates it from its nasty baby brother called gaslighting. Oh, well, because it's one of the ways that intelligence is subverted. So remember the initial commonality of definitions, 
acquisition, retention, and use of knowledge, the ability to recognize problems, and the application of knowledge to solve the problem. So gaslighting is taken from a 1938 play by Patrick Hamilton, but it gained notoriety from the 1944 movie thriller by Alfred Hitchcock called Gaslight. Now, I recommend that movie. It sounds Mostly scary. because, well, it is kind of scary. And Gaslighting it is, is by Alfred Hitchcock. Scary. Yes. And fun fact, it was <laughs> Angela Lansbury's debut. Oh. All right. So what's the film? It's a suspense film where a manipulative husband tries to make his wife think she is losing her mind by making subtle changes in her environment, including slowly and steadily dimming the flame on a gas lamp. Hence the word gaslighting. He isolates her from family and friends and controls her. The wife starts second guessing herself, her feelings, her perceptions, and her memories. And this is all around distorting someone's intelligence, using well, and it against their them. reality. Well, their ability to perceive and acquire information and retain it, right? Because you're questioning how well you remember anything to even recognize when there is a problem or use any of that information to solve a problem. So it makes the person very vulnerable to whoever the manipulator is who says, this is a problem and this is how we solve it, right? Yeah, especially I feel like the key part to gaslighting is the isolation from other sources of information, other people, other sources of intelligence. Yes. Because one of the ways that we verify our reality is agreeing this thing right. is that, that thing mm -hmm. is this. And so then if the person who is manipulating you gets you into this isolated, confused state and comes in and says, ah, this is that, then you're much more likely to agree with that. Yeah. Yes. That was kind of confusing. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was, an, I was so, trying to stay away from specific examples because I felt like it would go off the rails, but it went off the rails anyway. Sure. And gaslighting and propaganda are similar in the sense that they want to leave whoever the target is unsure of what's true and what isn't. And unsure of their ability to perceive truth and falsehood. I think these that, are also the strongest tie for like intelligence into relationships. Yes. You know, it, not that we have to like always be tied into relationships, but it's a podcast about relationships, but like propaganda and gaslighting both require human relationships to have this manipulation around intelligence. That's exactly right. Do you think there's people who are predisposed to be more vulnerable to gaslighting or propaganda? Predisposed. I'm thinking my brain is on cults because I watched a documentary about a cult last night. And I like to think that I would not end up in a cult because I feel like the indoctrination of that, the manipulation of reality, the gaslighting of this is specific. If I found alternate information, like I would be more critical about it. But some people are more susceptible to leaning into that, I guess, easier. So the predisposition actually has to do with what they experienced growing up. And this is in no way suggesting that person is then responsible for the gaslighting that's happening. Yeah, no, because that no, would no, be no. a gaslighting technique. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, All right. But just, no, just looking at... We just got meta-gaslighted. Yeah, just looking at the people who experience that and how it comes to be. I think that it could have, it's some to do with your experience growing up, because if you did not have a lot of good self-confidence examples and maybe some trust problems and other things like that, that would predispose you to this kind of manipulation. However, 
even somebody mm-hmm. like you, Kim, who has a fairly strong sense of self, you're smart. You, I like to believe up, that <laughs> you didn't necessarily, you didn't grow up with trust issues or that kind of thing. But if you found yourself in a situation where slowly over time you were feeling more and more isolated and right. you were, I don't know, finding yourself talking to cult members and they were good at what they were doing. Sure. I think anybody could get pulled into that kind of thing. It just, it's just a matter of time and how long you're in a sort of state where you're doubting yourself and being manipulated. And I think all of us to some extent or another are manipulated and we do it to ourselves. The ways that we get news and information in Mm -hmm. the modern age, echo chambers, that kind Mm -hmm. of thing. That's not gaslighting. It's not necessarily propaganda. But if you curate a feed of news sources, that's all the stuff that you want to hear. Do you really know what's going on in the world? And I'm absolutely guilty of this. And then on the flip side, if you actively go looking for conspiracy theories and stuff like that, you're going to find them. Well, that is but true. See, right there, that's a bias that there's truth and then conspiracy theories. But truth is often much larger and there are competing truths. And is all the information being presented to someone or only some of the information? Yeah, I, don't, so, I wasn't really trying to draw a either or thing. Mm-hmm. Just that like there's a lot out there and like you can almost gaslight yourself into <laughs> certain <laughs> kinds of information. And I, I want to like go back to your question, Kim. Yes, there are people who are more vulnerable, vulnerable. to this. Yeah, that would and be so the they, word that I was looking for. Not predisposed. Vulnerable. Right. Vulnerable. And these are the targets that gaslighters are looking for. Because for the gaslighter, they want to control a human being so that they can get whatever they want from that human being whenever they want it. So that's the whole purpose around that behavior. And folks who grew up and they didn't feel particularly appreciated and the gaslighter starts to notice, oh, if I use these words, the person is like putty in my hands. And they know the exact things to say that help entrap the individual. That's what they're looking for. So that's the vulnerability they try and grab. Yes, Kim. Never be open about having a praise kink. Well, it depends. If you have a trusting relationship with that person, they know your safe word and are willing to (laughs) adhere to it. You're probably okay. No comment. (laughs) So the whole thing is to get the target to follow the abuser blindly not question anything. And this is emotional abuse. Let me make this extremely clear. Gaslighting is the worst emotional abuse that I can think of. I'm not comparing it to physical abuse or anything else, the emotional kind, because it specifically targets the person's weakest areas and manipulates them in order to get an outcome that the abuser wants, but not necessarily the the target wants. Well, so, and it also warps a reality that takes so much, like years to undo. Oh, yes. And unfortunately, when this happens and the person finally gets up the strength to divorce the gaslighter. Leave in general. Family court, if they have to go to court around this stuff, often perpetuates the abuse in the legal proceedings of a divorce. I, I would love to change this. And if you're listening and you can help me change the family court, call me, please. Let's do it. All right. So how does this show up? How does a gaslighter show up? Lying to the target, particularly that the target is making things up. So the, the target says the sky is blue and the, the manipulator says, no, it's not. It's actually off green or something, whatever. Discrediting the target by spreading rumors. Yeah, that's my wife and she's crazy. 
you know, you really shouldn't listen to her. That kind of discrediting. Distracting the target. So the target asks a great question and the manipulator changes the subject and distracts them into something else. They minimize the thoughts and feelings of the target. You know, you're too sensitive. It was only a joke. Come on, get tough. I didn't mean it. I love you. Well, that's coming up. Oh. So shifting the blame from the gaslighter to the target. If only you behave differently, I wouldn't treat you like this. That is never a true statement. That is never a true statement. So they also deny wrongdoing, which is a violation of what? My first rule. Personal responsibility. Personal. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what are <laughs> the words? <laughs> oh, I get right. a gold star. Yes, you do. I like how the words are literally directly in front of me, too. Yes. And there was this long pause. What is he talking about? Anyway, they also use compassionate words as weapons. That's what you were talking about, Kim. Love you they, so much. I'm not going to abandon you like your parents did. I'm not going to whatever, you know, fill in the blank. I'm so sorry you feel stupid in my presence. That is yeah. one that comes up all the time. It's that sense of making themselves the victim yes. to make the other person feel like anything that they're doing is wrong. I'm yes, sorry yes, yes. that you feel stupid or I'm sorry that you got hurt by that. Yes. Yeah. The non-apology. <laughs> right. And then the last thing is rewriting history by frequently repeating stories that make any situation that they were bad in seem to be in their favor. I didn't hit you. You tripped and fell. That's how you bang your head against the coffee table. Things like that. And they'll tell that story both to the target and to the rest of the world. Yep. So that's both discrediting the target and rewriting history so that the person says, I don't even remember what happened. It's, it's terrible. And those are the behaviors to look for. If you're in a relationship with people who are doing some number of these things, run. Just run. It is bad. Reach out for Dr. Azevedo for help. Yes. Don't reach do out to me, though, because that's not my specialty and I can't do it. So I take on gaslighters. I can't. I am straight up about that one. Follow the behavior. It'll always give you the truth. Shall I summarize? You're not going to say I'm tuckered out? That's you. Um, it says say I'm that. tuckered out. Summarize this out, Ben. <laughs> All right. So I am tuckered out. <laughs> He's so tuckered he can't even read his own notes. Summarize this out, Ben. All right. So that was a brief history of humanity's attempts to define our own intelligence, which I feel like we haven't really done a very good job of. I, Wait, I feel like it needs summarizing it or a, of no, defining, of defining it. A, we apparently haven't said anything about it since the 80s, which was a minute ago. And B, we're still <laughs> arguing about it and haven't come to a good conclusion. So more work, humanity, please. If you're out there working on like defining intelligence, let's get going. And then we took kind of a long, dark spiral into how people manipulate intelligence through things like propaganda and gaslighting. I think next week we're going to talk about resiliency and intelligence, but I also said that last week. So until then, enjoy the drive. Thank you for listening to The Relationship Road Trip. We hope you enjoyed the episode and we want to know what you think. So write to us at questions at afpsych.com. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or subscribing with your favorite podcast app. You can find more episodes of the show at relationshiproadtrip.com or wherever you download podcasts. The Relationship Road Trip comes out every Wednesday at 7 a.m., so don't forget to tune in next week. The Relationship Road Trip is brought to you by Azevedo Family Psychology, where they are dedicated to helping you create a life worth celebrating. You can learn more about their services at azavitofamilypsychology.com.
This podcast is produced by Bear Cave Audio. Bear Cave Audio provides a range of audio services from original composition to podcast recording and editing. To learn more, go to bearcaveaudio.com or email ben at bearcaveaudio.com. Until we meet again, may the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back and may the sun shine warm upon your face. Thank you.